Okay, there are uh, two ver- only two verses this morning. Um, and here at the beginning, um, I, wanted, I want just, just to note the striking difference between each of them. Let me read them again and just, and just see how different they are. Verse 42, could not be more ordinary. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then verse 43, could not be more extraordinary. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now the question I have for all of us in this sermon is which of those two is more enviable? Which of those two do you view as more significant and important for your life? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would not only love to experience verse 43, um, we tend to think we need verse 43. Of course, we understand that these apostolic wonders and signs are not necessarily normative for the church in our time, and I'll give an explanation of all that when we get to some of the miracles. But what verse 43 represents is what I'm talking about. That is to say, we want the mountaintop experience. We want the awe came upon our souls, to use the language of verse 43. But then when it comes to verse 42, these mundane disciplines, we take these things for granted at worst or perhaps neglected altogether at worst. My hope for this sermon, up front I'm telling you, my hope for this sermon is to flip those two in your minds and in your hearts. While we certainly welcome and enjoy the mountaintop experiences of the Christian faith, we do not rely upon them as we do the ordinary experiences of the Christian faith. When you look at the story of Acts, it is very clear that despite there being so many miraculous events that took place, verse 42 and these ordinary practices in the church continue to be repeated and prioritized throughout as the most important thing to the Christian life. Early Christians who witnessed extraordinary events it would tell you and I know this because of the, because of the reading of Acts, if, if these early Christians who witnessed so many extraordinary things were here, they would tell you the ordinary is even more extraordinary. I'll illustrate it like this. If I were to ask you the greatest meals you've ever experienced, I bet you could tell me stories. Perhaps it was a meal at a high-end restaurant, perhaps a feast at your wedding or someone else's wedding, maybe the uh, first date with the love of your life, or an anniversary dinner, a family Thanksgiving feast. We could tell those stories all day long, and they would be fun to tell. But if I were to ask you what you had for midweek lunch two weeks ago, we couldn't even answer. But it is these countless, forgettable, mundane meals, some of which we don't even really enjoy, right? Look at you kids, parents make you eat your vegetables. Some of these we don't even enjoy. But it is these meals that have provided our very life and sustenance. We certainly enjoy the spectacular meals, we all do. But it's the ordinary ones that give us life. I'll take it even further. We can live without spectacular meals. 
If you don't believe me, leave America, go to third world country, you'll find out. You can live without the spectacular. But we will die without routine sustenance. This is a very helpful way to understand our passage. I, I fear our overstimulated Christian culture has become addicted to the pursuit of verse 43 experience. While literally starving ourselves of verse 42 sustenance. So what I want to do this morning is go through each of these elements in verse 42 and show you the glory of the ordinary. There are four elements here that we see to consider. The glory of scripture, the glory of community, the glory of intimacy, and the glory of prayer. Let's go through each of those and see how important they are. First scripture, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the reason why I'm referring to this as scripture is that this is how we should interpret the apostles' teaching. The early church viewed the apostles as a unique role given by Jesus. They were endowed with the authority of Christ's power, so the miracle stuff, and the authority of Christ's word. Their teaching was viewed prophetically with the same weight and significance and authority as Old Testament scripture and even the words of Christ himself of which the apostles were expounding upon. And then when it came to your Bible, the formation of the Bible that you have, the the New Testament canon, the requirements for inclusion in the canon was apostolic authority. There were many Gnostic uh, gospels and epistles floating around at the time, but the ones that were included as scripture passed the apostle test, meaning they were from the apostles directly themselves or someone scribing uh, for on account of an apostle. So the way, I'm saying that because this, the way we are to conceptualize devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is devote ourselves to the inspired apostolic writings as contained in the scripture. Okay, so the Bible's important. Got it. Heard it a thousand times over. I know that book is important. But let's pause for a moment. And see if we can't understand its importance in a different way. Consider it more deeply. I want you to notice how this is worded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I wonder if our lives are known for a devotion to Scripture. We call it having a devotional, but is that really what it is? Devotion implies a holistic head, heart, hands, all of us holistic allegiance to the scriptures. This is how the apostles' teaching was received, as something, yes, to understand, yes, to believe, but also something to internalize, and most of all, something to practice. Now, I think we do the head stuff pretty well. I think that's where our tradition is strong. That's why we call it Bible study, after all. But the Bible is not meant to merely be studied. That's not devotion. The Bible is meant to be memorized. The Bible is meant to be prayed. The Bible is meant to be contemplated. The Bible is meant to be saturated in until every fiber of our being is filled with Scripture. And most of all, the Bible is meant to be obeyed. There are a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible and yet do not obey the Bible. 
orthodoxy void of orthopraxy. But what if the feeding of Scripture, the meal, the sustenance that the Bible provides our soul comes via obedience, not understanding? That's how the Bible views itself. Our Old Testament reading from Psalm 119 espouses the glory of the Word of God. But it's interesting how it is phrased, and this is throughout all of Psalm 119. When Katrina read it, she said this, In keeping the law, there is great reward. Not in knowing it, not in understanding it, not in studying it, but the reward is in keeping it. James says it like this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. The blessing of the word is found in the doing of the word. So my point is really simple. The glory that is scripture is discovered in obedience to Scripture. Not just in studying it, but in obeying it. Or as our passage says, in devotion to Scripture. All right? Community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Their term for Christian community was the fellowship. We use the term fellowship very loosely. They, they didn't. They used it covenantally. Um, They viewed themselves as a fellowship of believers, a a covenant community of believers with faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. And it's this, this covenant bond that distinguishes the way they did community from the way we typically do it. You see, in their day to follow Christ was to forsake family and friends. It is, it was, they, were, they were immediate outcasts if they chose to follow Jesus. They lost it all. And so the church became their new family. Not a, not a loosely connected group of individuals that hung out together. But a family bound by covenant. And when community is defined that way, you will discover how glorious it truly is. We'll talk about this a lot more next week when we get into the community of the New Testament church. But essentially in their community, everyone was cared for in every way. No one was without need. Now when I say that, we naturally love that idea, but we love it through the lens of our consumeristic culture. Meaning, I love the sound of that because I'm getting my needs met. Community is intended to care for me and meet my needs. Well, not only does that create perpetually dissatisfied Christians who are always complaining about the deficiencies of community, it's counterproductive to what community is actually offering you. What if that's not the blessing of community? What if the blessing of community is found not in receiving from community, but in giving to community? It is true that Christian community means that everyone is cared for in every way, but what if the caring for is the blessing more so than being cared for? 
If the Lord Jesus was right in saying it is more blessed to give than to receive, then I think that's the case. So what this means is that we, is that you, you, you may not do community because you think you don't need it. That's a lie. But nevertheless, you may not do community because you think you don't need it. But what if you need community because the community needs you? You don't need a parish group? Fine. That's a lie, but whatever. What if a parish group needs you? And what you will find in giving yourself to others, in loving and serving others, in bearing the burdens of others, in the giving of yourself, you will find the blessing of community. This giving of yourself, I believe, is where the glory of community is truly discovered. So scripture, community, next, intimacy. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Commentators are split when it comes to the meaning of breaking of bread. Many say that this was just referring to eating together in each other's homes, which they did a lot. Others say it's referring to the actual ritual of communion because at some point... um, in the early church, communion, uh, breaking of bread became synonymous with communion. Um, and I, I tend to agree with those commentators who say there's no reason to choose here. In, in a general sense, it's speaking to the habit of feasting together, which they did a lot. But in the more intentional, particular sense, it is speaking to the act of communion, the sacred act of holy communion. I don't think we're being asked to choose here. Instead... What is being emphasized more than anything else is the deep communion that existed within their community. It's not just a covenant community. It's an intimate covenant community. You see, you could do everything from my last point. Do community, join community, serve in community, and still not know or be known by community. In fact, there are a lot of people who do that. A lot of people who love to serve, but hate to be known. But this intimacy is a serious practice in the Christian life. You are not just made for community. You are made for intimacy. You are made to know and to be known in every way. And the easiest way to accomplish that is to break bread together. That's why they prioritized it in the early church. Here's my challenge for you. Invite someone into your home for a meal and try not to get to know them. It's impossible. Throughout every culture, throughout all the ages, the table remains a universal space of intimacy, which of course is why Jesus instituted a table as the enduring sacrament of the church. Do you know how formative it is That every single week, this service ends with us ceremonially breaking bread and sharing wine together. Do you know how much that is feeding your soul every week? Probably not, but that's okay, it is. Just like our routine meals feed our bodies without us thinking about it or realizing it, this routine is feeding your soul without you realizing it. There is glory to be found in intimate communion with one another. Scripture, community, intimacy, and finally prayer. 
It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, you may have noticed thus far what I've done with each of these points is to help us discover the glory of these ordinary things we're used to talking about by essentially helping us reimagine exactly what they're about. But when it comes to the glory of prayer, we really need a reimagination, a redefinition. The reason prayer does not seem so glorious to us, speaking very candidly, is because prayer has been turned into an individualized consumeristic exercise. For so many of us, if the Lord were to answer our prayers, nothing would really change except improved personal circumstances. But when you study the prayers of Scripture, especially the Psalms, which are these divinely inspired prayers of God's people. If you want to learn how to pray, just read the Psalms. When you study these prayers, you see prayer as far more than just asking God for stuff. Although supplication is certainly a part of prayer, you are to pour your heart out to God. He can handle your requests, but much more so. It is the primary means of communion with God. Now here we need to learn from other traditions outside the Reformed faith because this isn't our strength. Tim Keller says he's had three major moments in his Christian life. When he was converted, when he embraced Reformed theology, and when he learned how to pray. And that, learning how to pray, he says... He had to learn from, yes, Reformed thinkers and writers, but ones who have been dead a really long time, the Puritans. And, yes, other Christian traditions. For example, listen to this quote from Mother Teresa. Tell me if this is how you think of prayer, conceptualize prayer. Through prayer, we become one with Christ. Prayer does not consist in many words, but in the fervor of the desire which raises the heart to Jesus. Prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. To pray is to let the love of God take take entire and absolute possession of your heart. Prayer at its best is a deep and fervent look at Christ. I look at him, he looks at me. In prayer, you come face to face with God. Is that how you do prayer? Prayer is intimacy with God. Communion with God. Spirit wrought mysterious fellowship with God where in your heart and yes, in your emotions you experience in a very real way the tangible presence of God. What this means is that prayer is less about doing and doing something and more about having something done to you. It is less active and it is more formative. It is less about getting God to bend to your will and more about vulnerably allowing yourself to be bent to God's will. Less about asking God to do things for you and more about simply asking for God. If I told you those who are followers of Christ, lovers of the triune God, I know this is a deep desire of your heart. If I told you that God's presence is primarily experienced in prayer, That he is there 
right now waiting for you in the stillness of prayer to be discovered in ways you have never experienced him, would you not prioritize it much more? Well, I'm telling you, that's the case. His presence that you long for is waiting for you in prayer. And that is much more appealing than anything he can do for you. Scripture, community, intimacy, and prayer. Now that we have understood them, I want to return to that original question. Which of these verses is more to be desired? Which do you see as more important, crucial, life-giving to your Christianity? Verse 43 in the signs and wonders... Or verse 42, in the ordinary practices of scripture, community, intimacy, and prayer. Don't you see? You don't need signs and wonders. You need mundane routine. We have a beloved church member who was in the first service, Ruth Colby. She turned 100 uh, two days ago. What were you doing in 1919, right? I was visiting with her at her party, and um, I had to wake her up for this part of the sermon, by the way, in the first service. I said, Ruth, wake up. I'm talking about you. She has an excuse. She's 100. You, you, you sleepers out there don't have excuse. <laughs> I was, I was uh, talking to her at, her at her party, and I said, Ruth, tell me the key to living to 100. Her answer was boring. She eats oatmeal every morning, a lot of sweet potatoes and vegetables. I'm sure Ruth enjoyed some amazing meals over the past century, but it's oatmeal, sweet potatoes, and vegetables that she says gave her that century. Now, that's not the most awe-inspiring life wisdom, and yet in one sense, it's refreshing. Why? Because I can do that. I can eat my sweet potatoes and vegetables. I got a lot of catching up to do, but I can do it. And you can do this. Please listen to me. Never underestimate the life-giving glory of the ordinary. Scripture, community, intimacy, and prayer, these are the sole sustenance of the Christian life. We bless God for the mountaintops but we are sustained by the mundane. Which is why you might be dying this morning. Let me ask you a question. How are you feeling? Not physically, spiritually. How's it going? You might think, you struggling souls, you might think you need a verse 43 experience to get you back on track. But could it be as simple as dusting off your Bible, getting in community, and learning how to pray? To which many Christians would say, yeah, I know, but it just never seems to happen for me. I know how important this stuff is, and I've heard a hundred sermons on it, but it just never seems to happen. I understand that. I know the struggle personally myself, but I want to point something out from our passage that is crucially important. There is a word before each of these four that is very easy to miss, and it's the word the. 
Look at it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you know why that word is there? Commentators say it's because the early church was incredibly intentional about these things. That they were events, that they they set them aside. They, they, They ordered their lives around these things. They didn't devote themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Meaning it was something that didn't just happen organically on its own. They were intentionally set aside as organized and prioritized practices. The point is that these need to be intentional and organized in your life or they will not happen. Yes, that has implications for your personal life. Your day in, day out, spiritual disciplines. And we are here to help you with that if you need help. Here I commend to you Mark. He's the best I know at this. Okay? Um, I told him... I, I told him this morning, I said, hey, I got a sermon for you today. It's all about the ordinary. And he's like, are you just saying I'm ordinary? And I said, yes, but the whole point of the sermon is that ordinary is extraordinary. And I envy that in Mark. I'm just like one crazy mountaintop every which way. And he's just ordinary in an extraordinary way. <laughs> but listen, if you want to learn how to just do the Christian life I'm telling you, he's here for that. He would love to teach you how to pray, how to read your Bible, how to get in community. That's why he's here, so take him up on that. But more so than just, more so than just what this means for you in your personal life week in, week out, I'm gonna give us some help this morning. What I'm about to tell you is incredible, incredibly ordinary, but will utterly revolutionize your Christian life. Here's what you are to do. Are you ready? Set one day aside, the day the Lord asks you aside, in order to feed on the mundane. Nothing, and I mean nothing, touches Sunday in your life. It's off limits. We Pastors and elders have ordered this day to feed your soul with a banquet of ordinary means of grace. Come and eat. First and foremost, you need to go to church. Thank you for being here. I understand getting to church for some is hard, but don't tell me you're too busy. Don't tell me You're too tired. Don't tell me you don't feel like it. Ruth Colby's been doing it every Sunday for a century. You can go to church. If you're listening to a sermon on podcasts and you think that downloading this is a substitute for being with us this morning, I'm flattered that you think listening to me on the internet is enough to feed your soul, but the one you're listening to is telling you it is not. Come to church and eat every Sunday this full course mundane meal that keeps your soul alive. But it goes beyond corporate worship. We can't do everything in this hour and 20 minutes. This needs to be a day-long exercise. Break bread with one another over lunch after church. Get to know each other. Ask somebody new every week. Spend more intentional personal and family time together practicing these things in extended ways. This is something that Abby and I 
um, are, are, are resolute to improve on Sundays because, um, I, as you might imagine, I'm very tired after this Sunday and my tendency is just to go home and crash and just check out. And, and she right, rightfully said, hey, we, we can't do that as a family. Get your nap. But then we've got to be intentional with this day. And so this is what we've come up with, parents. I'm just, every Sunday, we're just going to rotate through our kids. And, and I'm going to take one of them away after my nap. And just, that's our time to have the discipleship talk. That's our time to talk about how you're doing with Jesus and to pray together and whatnot. You can get creative with it. But take this day and make it the day, day of the ordinary means. And most of all, end the Sabbath day in community, doing these things together in a parish group. This is a perfect time to be preaching this sermon because it's the kickoff to a new year. Things are getting going. We're signing up for parish groups. At that picnic next week, there's going to be a big tent. Sign up here. We're making it easy for you. You can sign up. So here's my, here's my direct application for everyone. If you are not a part of this community, meaning if you're visiting with us just even just today or you've been on the fringes for a while or whatever. Here's my, here's my application. We're going to take one step towards it. I want you to be at the Foundations Weekend this coming weekend. We're almost full. We'll make more spots. I want everybody who is just on the fringes of this place to take that first step and be at Foundations Weekend. Now, to everybody who is in this community, a part of this church, members, regular tenders, it doesn't matter, to everyone, I want you to be in a parish group where you come together to chew on the morning sermon and break bread together and feast together and laugh together and get to know one another and pray together. Let this be a day filled with the means of grace. So that's my challenge. Let's let the fall of 2019 be the beginning of spiritual change for you and your family by prioritizing the ordinary. Scripture Community, intimacy, and prayer. The glory of the ordinary. Let's make them happen. Yes, personally every day, but most importantly, together on Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, anytime we talk about change and reordering our lives, creating new habits, I know from experience I can feel overwhelmed because that doesn't come naturally to me. And I know there's many here who share that same struggle. And so we, we need your spirit to change ultimately. We need you. Our hearts have been stirred. But, but please, Lord, let this overflow into application in our lives. We need you to help us with that. And so we, we humbly ask for you to give us your spirit to prioritize the glory of the ordinary. And now, Lord, we come to... What is, yes, ordinary in the eyes of the world, but extraordinary to the community of faith. We come to communion and ask your blessing through Jesus. Amen.